Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. In many ways, Florida has frequently led the national debate on education policy. It's been among the first to dabble in ideas such as school grades, third grade retention, and other initiatives that some states have adopted and others have rejected. Last year, Florida turned up the heat on state-funded vouchers, a goal of Republican leaders for more than a decade. What will state lawmakers do in 2020? Governor Ron DeSantis has placed teacher pay on the table. School security improvement remains a priority. Is there room for more? This week, Tallahassee Bureau reporter Emily Mahoney joins me for a conversation about what to expect in the legislative session that begins in January, in the Capitol that often says it plans to give education a breather, and then holds the state breathless over the topic until everyone finally calls signy die. Let's take a listen. So, Emily, we are approaching the... A legislative session. We have one more committee week to go. And so I'm glad you're back to talk with me about what's going on in Tallahassee with education, education policy, education bills. Welcome back. Thanks so much for having me again. Well, before we do anything, I want to just say that I read your story that you recently did about drug policies and drug laws, and it was just fantastic. And I hope that everybody reads it. And I don't know how you found the time to do that and follow all these education things as well. So I'm really impressed. Thanks very much for the plug, Jeff. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's not not exactly um, my usual beat, but uh, it was something that I came across during session last year that I thought was really important to expand upon and uh, really glad I was able to get that published um, so now that I can be ready to tackle session in 2020. Well, let's get right to it then. We have the education issue, which it feels like is always major. No matter what we say or do, they're going to say it's going to be a quiet year, little tinkering, nothing much. Education becomes this blockbuster bill that winds up holding up the legislature till past when it's supposed to, to leave. Uh, do you have any sense of what's going on this year? Big, small? Are we going to see a lot, see a little? Well, I think the continuing theme t- seems to be teacher pay and, um, you know, Governor DeSantis seems so far, at least so far in the early days of the upcoming session, seems to really be setting um, the priorities in terms of education so far. Uh, teacher pay in terms of his proposal to set the minimum teacher salary statewide in Florida to $47,500, as well as a new bonus proposal that he recently pitched to replace the best and brightest program. And um, <clears throat> so far, those proposals and teacher pay in general are kind of what has been dominating the education conversation um, up here, though there's certainly a, a, a lot of details that have to be worked out. And I think that, you know, assuming that DeSantis's ideas are going to pass through the les- legislature as he proposed them um, would be overly naive because there are a lot of different factors that have to come into play here. They're going to have to change the way that they allocate money um, in the budget as it relates to teacher pay and the way that salaries are set, um, you know, w- local control versus state mandates and, and things of that nature. So it seems simple, but it's really not. 
It looks like the Senate is way more on board than the House. I've been looking at the bills, and the Senate has, obviously, Appropriations Chairman Bradley has put forth the bill to kill the best and brightest, which would be the first step towards moving that money into a new program. And Senate Education Chairman Diaz has put forth a bill just the other day, 1088. I'm going to number it for everyone. Uh, Teacher salary enhancement, which would actually create a line in the annual appropriations for salary enhancement. So that way the money would be able to be set forward in the budget specifically for teacher salary enhancement. Districts would have to use the money in that way. Then it would fold over into the base student allocation for the following year. And and any district that has met the mark that has been set forth for where the the salaries are supposed to be would be able to use the, the overage amount for general operations. On the other side, though, there's nothing like that really in the House. And from what you've heard, has the House got a different idea? I've heard them just say, we will come up with our own plan. Yeah, basically. I mean, even just in the immediate aftermath after DeSantis announced this plan to make the base uh, teacher budget 47500 um House Speaker Jose Oliva issued kind of what is becoming his calling card statement, which is something that is kind of uh, less than enthusiastic, shall we say, towards some of the governor's ideas. He noted that the governor's agencies have already made, you know, upwards of $2 billion in requests and they are reviewing it and are looking forward to making sure that everything is balanced. And, um, he, he was a little bit more, um, enthusiastic about the governor's total budget and, and he seemed to think that, you know, DeSantis made his numbers work pretty well here. But just in general, the house is approaching teacher pay with, uh, an eye toward, not spending too much of the state's money and uh, really trying to take a hard look at where this money would come from. And I think part of that, too, comes from the fact that the House seems much less willing, at least some of the the few people that I've spoken to about this so far, including uh, uh, Chris Slatvala, who chairs K-12 appropriations over there, he seemed less willing to get rid of the best and brightest uh, teacher bonus program than perhaps others in the Senate, such as Chair Bradley, like you mentioned. Um, so I think that, you know, if, if they're not willing to, to get rid of that, then that's, you know, $300 million right there that is not being freed up in their vision of things. So there's, like I said, there's still a lot more discussion that has to happen. So if that big issue is possibly going to take up a lot of the air in the room. Is there space for any other kind of education debate to take place? I know that the governor also put forth a conforming bill that would expand the eligibility requirements for the voucher program that they approved a year ago. Is is that going to be a big one too? Or are you hearing anything? Is there room for it? I think there is room for other policy for sure. Um, you know, but in terms of any other large budgetary proposal that would take a lot more money, I'm not sure if especially the House has the stomach for that. But, um, you know, I think that the expansion of the eligibility for the new vouchers is interesting. And it's not really something that has been discussed a lot um, yet, because like you said, it was just kind of tucked in the conforming language that the governor put forth when he proposed his entire proposed state budgets. And of course, there's always so much to talk about when he does that. So can you remind me of what some of the specifics of that were? Because I'm really curious about that. And we'll probably see it pop up in a bill sometime. Yes, I can. As a matter of fact, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) what he wants to do, among other things, is uh, 
Extend the eligibility to children in military families transferred permanently into Florida, giving those children priorities along with students who qualify for free and reduced lunches. He would make it so that children entering kindergarten through second grade could receive a voucher without having attended a public school in the past, which is something that really hasn't been the case before. You usually had to have a year in the public school to then get one a type of voucher or scholarship from the state. And a year later in his plan would be to extend that through kindergarten through fifth grade. So that would make it even more likely that you could just go straight into the private school system with state support, sort of going with his statement from a year ago that, you know, if the public pays for it, it's public education. So those are a couple of things he wants to do. He also wants to look at the growth rate for the vouchers. So, you know, the annual expansion could be bigger. It's still a 0.5 percentage growth of the state's total public school enrollment, but it had been 0.25%. So he's looking at growing it in lots of different ways. And that's, there are other pieces of that legislation, but right now it's just his proposal. There hasn't been anything that's come out of either chamber yet to bolster that. They might just take his language, maybe not. Yeah, definitely. Well, and if you are expanding the number of kids who are receiving these vouchers, then obviously that costs money. So we'll just have to see how all the, the numbers work out in addition to the pol- the normal policy disagreements that are bound to happen over policies like this. Well, policy is like you said, going to probably be the only place where they can go because the money is going to be fairly tight. And we've seen it go both ways. One year, you'll see them pitch all of their policies very late in the game, create something like 70-55 a couple years ago, 70-69, where they come out late with a huge bill that confuses people and, and even gets some of their people on their own side to sort of balk at what's going on. And then we've seen in like last year where Manny Diaz went into the Senate and the first thing he did was hold a press conference early on and say, these are our priorities. This is what we're looking to do. And and then we're going to push that through. And do you see one way versus the other happening? Because I know there are things out there still like the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Commission. They put out a series of recommendations, but I haven't seen a bill. Right, exactly. And so, you know, that's important to note, too, for the listeners is that um, the the deadline has passed, I believe, for individually filed bills, bills filed by particular representatives or senators, but they still have time to file committee bills, which is a bill basically filed on behalf of an entire committee, be it the Education Committee or the appropriate K-12 Appropriations Committee. So I have a feeling that, you know, there will be some more substantial education proposals yet to come that have not been filed yet because they will be committee bills. And I would be surprised if those Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Commission recommendations didn't make their way into a committee bill since, you know, the legislature created that commission with the intent that, you know, they they needed an entirely separate body just to focus on the Parkland shooting that happened in 2018 and look at it from every possible angle and provide them with continual recommendations on how to improve school safety. And so for them to just kind of let those recommendations float out into uh, the universe and not do anything about it would be pretty antithetical to the whole purpose of that commission existing. So that's definitely something. Security, there are some small security bills that are out there and some of them are getting a lot of traction. I found this really cool website. It's called Legiscan and it is something where they actually sort of track 
the the people who are paying attention to the bills, who clicks on them, the numbers of people, the most monitored bills, the most viewed bills. And it was interesting. One of those bills that was really highly viewed was the one that um, would require schools to have panic alarms in them. And that's from Senator Book and Representative Gottlieb. That's one of the most viewed bills out there. Just a bill that would have classrooms have panic alarms so that they could press it and if something happens and everybody knows what's going on. I mean, does that sound like something yeah. that, that would, just because people are reading, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen, but is that the kind of thing that they might be looking to do? Some sort of unfunded mandate. Go buy some panic alarms. We're going to require you to do it. And if you don't, we're going to take you to before that um, grand jury and say, you're not following the law, so we're coming after you. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, you know, school safety has always been a big topic up here since the Parkland shooting. Um one of the most interesting, I think, recommendations and, and discussions from the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Commission um, was about how in, I believe it was Palm Beach County, where they had a problem with the sheriff's office basically outsourcing the training of their school guardians. And it got them into a ton of trouble uh, because they said that the, the school guardians were not qualified that their training was not sufficient. And so I, I believe the commission took a look at that and, um, they're wanting the legislature to make sure that that does not happen again. Um, so there's all these weird, you know, situations and quirks coming up with even just the existing law and making sure that that is sufficient in terms of school safety and there's no misinterpretations of it. And then, of course, as you mentioned, there's always newer proposals that they want to tack on to what already exists. One of the other bills that was on that website as one of the more monitored bills in the legislature right now is a House Bill 315, Senate 588 from Senator Roussan and Representative Valdez proposing mental health days for students because that sort of ties into this whole issue too that, you know, we need to address students' needs not just after they shoot someone, but maybe before they ever get close to shooting someone. Uh, hopefully never, right? But uh, they... They wanted to propose that students would be able to take a mental health day and have an excused absence at least once per semester so they could decompress if they need to. And that's that's another idea that's coming out of these sort of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas areas because they're talking about mental health as well as as security as being part of that package, right? Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So after that, there are other issues that I'm sure will come out, but... That's only one little piece of it, too. I mean, you mentioned vouchers, and, you know, we had Anna Escamani file her bill, 45, with Rusan, Senate 56, and that was sort of withholding voucher funds from private schools that discriminate for any reason in their rules. And I know that got a lot of attention, but how much does that kind of Democrat-sponsored bill that sort of attacks the basic fundamentals of vouchers have of passing through the legislature? Yeah, I would say not not uh, great chances on something like that. But, um, you know, I think it, a lot of the, the time Democrats file these bills uh, just as a way to send a particular message or to bring up a particular topic. So I think perhaps their goal there might, even though the chances of the bill actually passing may be slim, they're hoping that it would at least spur debate among lawmakers about the discrimination um, that does happen that the Orlando Sentinel has reported about, about schools that accept uh, state funds, um, private schools that perhaps don't allow students who are gay or don't allow students with disabilities 
um, you know, and, and just trying to, if not, if not their bill, perhaps get some language related to that in a larger Republican sponsored bill. So we'll have to see. Well, uh, there's the other side of that equation, too. There are some of the very conservative bills that sort of go after this idea, but in a different way. Senator Baxley and Representative Daniels filed a pair of bills that would that would basically look closer at putting pr- prayer, although they call it moments of silence, and Bible, although it would be an elective, it would be a required elective, into the public schools. And by public schools, I mean district schools because charter schools appear to be exempt from this legislation and from the, from the statute there. So, I mean, we see a lot of discussions there on both sides. And I don't know, do you think that the, the prayer and Bible bills have a better chance this year? I know that they both kind of came up in the past and haven't really received a huge welcoming applause. Hmm. Yeah, bills like that always spur a lot of um, media coverage and a lot of attention, but it's always like unclear if they'll actually move. I mean, the In God We Trust bill, the, the bill that required all schools to have a sign displaying the state motto, which is In God We Trust, that one did eventually pass a couple of years back, didn't it? Yes, it did. And now the schools yeah. have them. <laughs> yeah. So and what going back to that Bible course, what does a required elective mean? It means that the school would be required to provide the elective. It doesn't mean that the students have to take it. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, and so it's kind of interesting. They, a lot of people look at this as these foot-in-the-door bills, that if these things were able to be passed and they say, well, we already have the school required to offer the elective, so what's the next step down that path, right? To be maybe to require the students to take the elective? Because otherwise... Why would you have a teacher on campus ready to teach it, right? Well, and one other thing I'd like us to touch on, too, in terms of policies that um, might come up in a larger committee bill um, is VPK. And, you know, you did a great podcast earlier in the year about VPK issues. And um, I wrote a story about some of the things that the lawmakers had been talking about with the voluntary pre-kindergarten program and all of the different ways that Florida really struggles to ensure the quality of the education that they receive in that program, which is, as you know, just for four-year-olds. And um, it is it is a program that allows all of the state's four-year-olds to get uh, state-funded pre-K if they choose to do so. And while Florida is a leader in offering that accessibility to students, it is far behind a lot of other states when it comes to ensuring the quality of that education. And it it varies greatly program to program. And this has been something that uh, lawmakers really started off talking about strong in terms of the committees over this past fall. Uh, Right out of the gate, the House Education Committee held their whole hearing on these topics and whether they should consider increasing pay for pre-K teachers so that they could attract, you know, better quality teachers and, and retain them because the turnover is so high within that field to begin with. And uh, the governor's budget did propose a, a pretty modest increase in the per-student funding for VPK, which could theoretically allow uh, for some salary increases, I believe. Can I just but say I, modest? You're being generous here. Modest. Yeah. It, you're still below what the funding was when the program began more than a decade ago with that modest, I think it was $25 per student increase that he's proposed. 
Right, exactly. And so, yeah, you're right. Modest might perhaps be even too generous. And so I wonder if the focus on uh, voluntary pre-K has already faded from lawmakers' minds. It, it seems to not be a, a massive priority for the governor in terms of increasing funding, at least. Um, so I wonder if the House Education Committee will come out with a bill on that or if that was just a, kind of a one-and-done committee hearing and, and we won't hear about it for the rest of the year. Well, that's one of the things that I've been wondering just generally about the House Education Committee one and done. They had two two committee meetings over the course of three months and they don't have any more scheduled and they really haven't said much of anything. And, you know, even the House Appropriations Committee for Pre-K-12 has been mostly focused on either teacher pay or or member bills, you know, to fund little programs here and there. And so I just wonder how serious the House is about anything or whether they're just discussing things and waiting to see where the Senate goes. It's really kind of unclear right now because they've said so little. Mm -hmm, Definitely. The House has had a lot of committee meetings canceled uh, as we've had these committee weeks leading up to session, like you said. So it's not just education. It's in all of the, the different silos. So we're all kind of wondering what is going on over there. Well, you're right there in the mix of it. There's another committee meeting week next week. And so we should, we're going to see the Senate has its education committee meeting. And I thought it was interesting to note that on that same website that I was looking at that the Senate education committee is got the third most bills assigned to it of any committee in the Senate. And so they're very, they're very active. And so that makes it even more questionable as to why the House education committee isn't meeting again at all. And so we'll just have to wait and see how things move forward. And, and I'm glad you'll be there to to monitor them. And maybe when you talk to them, you can say, or they'll say to you why it is that we're hearing more from the Senate side than the House. Right. Yeah. The House doesn't have a committee meeting scheduled yet. Uh, it, it doesn't appear canceled yet. So we're still waiting to see if one will be scheduled for next week or not. So Emily, do you have any other words of wisdom for us? Or are we going to like call it a wrap and let everybody remember that the legislative session begins on January the 14th in Tallahassee. It's early. Why? Because every other year it's in January and every other year it's in March. Sure. Why not? So um, any other thoughts? Or It'll be a cold session this year. It's definitely the colder time of year. So I'll be shivering up, up here in Tallahassee and delivering any updates I can. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again for your time. And I'm so glad that you're back from your trip to drug policy land. Read that story, by the way. Read the story. It's good. Thanks, Jeff. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to share your thoughts on today's topic, please go to our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook, and add your comments to the post of this podcast. To keep up with the latest in Florida education news, please visit our blog, www.tampabay.com gradebook. Have comments, questions, or concerns about this podcast? Want to hear about something specific? Send an email to me at jsolacek at tampabay.com or add a review to the site where you get your podcasts, including Google, Apple, and Stitcher. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks so much for listening.